Judge turns back off. It's good? Okay. All right, very good. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. Man, glad to have you all tonight. Um, <clears throat> Genesis uh, chapter 6, please. Genesis chapter 6. And I have some uh, papers for you. If you will, uh, there's two more papers. And tonight we want to, we've talked about these four events, or that we've, we've, we've at least accomplished uh, two of those. We've talked about the creation, and we've talked about the fall of man, and how tragic that was. And tonight, um, you know, we want, we want to begin on the flood, the flood. And, uh, and you know, you have, you have to understand something, you know, the devil... In his effort there to, uh, I mean, what, something just have to, let's have a word of prayer, all right, before I get my tongue all tied up here. My brain's going 100 miles an hour, okay? So, yeah, it is, brother, because the brakes are out. Yeah, all right. No, let's, uh, let's pray, all right? Father, I sure do thank you for loving us. Thank you for the precious word of God. And uh, Lord, for the Lord Jesus... And for the Holy Spirit, Lord, who is the uh, Lord, the superintendent of this Bible, in its writing and uh, and its, if you will, even its preservation, Father. And we just thank you for it today. Help us to glean these truths that are out of here, and uh, Lord, that we may see an application even in our lives today. And I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would indeed be our teacher and guide. I I need him, and so Lord, I pray that you'd use me to communicate your truth tonight. And grant them illumination and understanding. And we'll thank you for it. Bless our teachers upstairs, Lord. And we'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You know, and part of this one, something I didn't mention last week, but it makes for a good transition between the fall of man and the flood, is the simple fact that, you know, man was in a perfect environment. People say, you know, they're the product of their environment. If, they, if all these things were in place, then everything would be all right. No. It's really not the environment. It's the hearts of men that are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. In spite of, so you can put a man in a perfect place like the Garden of Eden was, and what did he do? He failed. And uh, and part of that is you have to understand. Well, why did the, why did the devil do this? Because you have to you have to understand how desperately and how badly and how vigorously he hates God, and he does hate God. And therefore, to get back at God, he wanted to take and ruin his most precious creation, and that was man. In spite of what the environmentalists say and the climate change people and so forth and the science so-called today, the, the most precious commodity on the planet is not the planet. It's the inhabitants of the planet. Jesus came and died not to save this world, the mud ball, but the people that are in it. And, uh, and so you have to understand how badly the devil then wanted to ruin man, and he did. And we see the evidence of that today even in our own headlines. We don't have to look back on history to see that. It's around us all the time. And so, uh, but here, the flood comes along. And so look in chapter 6 with me. 
and, and understand something. There's been a whole society that has risen up between the fall of man, when man was driven out of the garden, and between the flood. And that 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 world, if you will, that society that was there, there's not much written about them because, because basically in chapter 6, look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. So God is not really going to record a lot of things about that kind of, that kind of lifestyle, those kind of lives that were away from God and, and trying to live without God. He's not going to record much of their things. And so this society, that's why I said there's not a lot written about them, but it's referred to, the 25-cent word is the antediluvian. I want you to say that with me, antediluvian. All right? It's kind of like where you get the word deluge from. That's what we had during Harvey. We had a deluge here. We got, what, 52 inches of rain in five days? And just a couple years back, I forget which tropical storm came over us, but we got 39 inches of rain in 24 hours. That's a deluge, all right? And uh, we were in the camper, and Debbie looked out the window, and she said, I'm going to higher ground. And so she went up three steps to the camper. I don't know where she thought she was going, but in her mind, she was getting out of there, you know. Brother Roger was out of town. I was calling people, seeing, how, hey, do you all have water in your house? How are you doing? I'm calling around. She's like pointing on me. Hey, hey, there goes a lawn chair. There goes a, there goes a cooler. You know? I said, I know. It's okay. You know? And, uh, but the water got four feet deep in the RV park on one end where we were. And uh, not in my spot, but down further from me. So anyway, long story short, we paddled up. No, we didn't. We got out of there. We're all right. But uh, but the deluge, that antediluvian society, is anti would be before or prior, okay? And uh, and so this was the society that then was before the flood came, before the judgment of God fell, and uh, and the Lord doesn't write a lot about them, and so so this group they live between the time of the fall and the flood. I don't know how far they progressed. Technologically wise, but if you look, if you look in chapter four, you're going to find the Cain line, and we know, you know, as a part of that fallen nature, what happened, man. Well, we know that Cain killed Abel, murdered him, right? And uh, and so man was on a downward slope ever since the fall, and so we have the in this lineage or in this in chapter four, we have the Cain line, and you meet some of them here. Cain, verse, t- verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And man, that's never a good thing to go from the presence of the Lord. Why in the world? You know, we think back upon our own lives. I remember talking to Debbie after we got saved. And I said, you know, we'd only been married seven years at the time. And I said, man, what were we thinking about? For these seven I mean, of all of our lives, I was 28, she was 26 when we got saved. And, uh, and I, I was like, what? What in the world were we thinking about? You know, and enjoying our salvation, enjoying the Bible, and enjoying our family, and then just looking back and saying, gosh, what a difference the Lord has made in our lives and being a Christian and getting born again. And uh, and so, man, how this guy, he just went out from the presence of the Lord. I mean, he, you know, he had the opportunity, he said, if you'll do right, you know, otherwise sin lies at the door, and he just went on anyway. You know, anyway, but 
There's only two kinds of people in the world, really. I don't care what race you put on them. And they're both represented there at Calvary with the Lord Jesus. The man who had faith and said, Lord, will you remember me? And understood that he was rightly condemned, justly condemned. And that other guy who was sorry that he got caught. If you're the Christ, why don't you save yourself and us? You know, and that's kind of like, there's really not anything new under the sun. That's the same group of people you got today. I don't care what label you put on. I don't care what race they are. And uh, you're going to have those who are going to receive the Lord and gladly man to be born again. And those who are going to reject it and say, that's a bunch of foolishness. It's not for me. I'll make my own way. There is no hell. When you're dead, you're dead. And that's all there is. And Man, they are so wrong. So wrong. And so in chapter 4, you find the Cain line. I don't know how far they progressed. I would think, you know, I would think away from God, they're not really going to do very good. They're only going to do as good as man could produce. And yet we find some things about them here. Some of these guys, they, they, you know, I mean, they weren't doing too good. They were dwelling in tents, <laughs> you know. And uh, and so, but we know that, that, like, there's Jubal, the father of all... Uh, such as handle the harp and organ, so they so there was music that was there, that fallen nature, if you will. They had music, and there were some guys who were artificers, and you know. And then Lamech he blags about how many people he's killed and so forth. I mean, they got to hang their hat on something. The pride of man's got to be proud about something, and that's where they were. And so in chapter four, you get this the line of Cain, if you will. All right, the sons of men. And they represent the flesh, the life of the flesh. In chapter 5, go over there with me, you find this is this is the Seth line. And that word Seth, they called him Seth because she believed, oh, this is a man from the Lord. I think that Eve believed that right away this was going to be that seed, if you will, that was going to come along, that she was going to give birth to, that was going to take care of the enemy. I've gotten a man from the Lord. And, uh, and so, but the Seth line comes out, and this is where we... We get the, the, this is the, if you will, the, the grace side. These who were walking with God and, and, uh, and the like and living their lives. And, and there's some great men in here, yet they died, and we know that. And Enoch is in this line who lived and was not, right? And so, uh, and then Noah's in this line, and all these that are born during this time, this is that, that grace line. Well, in chapter 6, Something happens, and those two lines are crossed. Those two lines are crossed, and so you get uh, you get some you get some. I put in my paper here some tragic moral results, and you do. Let's look at that just for a second. Look in verse one, chapter six. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God. I think that to be the Seth line saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. They took them wives. And so how? So what were they judging things upon? They were just going with a natural attraction, if you will, all right? A fleshly thing and not a spiritual thing. And uh, and this is the danger, and I'll just throw this out here, this is the danger of, the, of being unequally yoked together. And uh, you, you, you may have... Sons and daughters yet to be, or they're going to grow up, and you want to encourage them that's right to be married. There's nothing wrong with that, but they ought to be married in the Lord. Because if you're unequally yoked together, typically it's going to be it's not going to be the Christian that's going to oftentimes take the stand, but their virtue is used against them and they wind up going in the other direction. 
And so they're constantly pulling on them, constantly pulling them away uh, from the things of God. And Paul wrote about this in in 1 Corinthians. He said, what what does that man do? That man, he said, basically what he's saying is you're going to have trouble when you get married because you're going to be thinking about how you can please your wife. And she, when she gets married, she's going to be thinking about how she can please her husband. And so these things, they kind of, they pull on you. That's a tug on you. And uh, and so, but when both are in the same yoke, both have the same goals to glorify God, it makes that easier to accomplish those things. I would say amen right there. That's true. Makes it easier to do that. And so here we find this line, if you will, this godly line has been corrupted with the ungodly line. And notice what happens. And it wasn't long. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. So God was given him 120 years. I mean, he could see the handwriting on the wall. He said, I'm not always going to contend with him. Obviously, he was doing so. But the scripture speaks about Noah. The New Testament talks about him being a preacher of righteousness. And so we know that he preached for 120 years while he's building the ark, all the while while he's building this ship, one of which had never, none ever of that size ever had been seen before. And it has that perfect ratio of being six to one, six to one. And so meaning that it is, it is the, the perfect length is six times the width. And uh, then that is the best uh, configuration to handle stormy waters. And it wasn't until the late 1800s until another ship was designed that had those, some of those similar dimensions or the similar ratio because they said that was the best for handling the rough seas because there was a lot of schooner traffic and things were, you know, communication was improving and so forth in the, in the late 1800s. And we know there have been ships out there for a long time, right? You know, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? So in the 1400s, they had ships. But, you know, when you're when you're a young boy and you're learning about those things, man, it just seemed like that looked just like a giant pirate ship to me and all those things. But, you know, they were really pretty small, the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria. They really were pretty small in comparison to things today. And uh, and so, so, you know, Moses gets, or Moses, but Noah gets this, uh, to build the ark and so forth. And, uh, and so he does it and he builds it according to God's dimensions and God's the greatest architect, be the greatest engineer uh, that ever lived and he would know what it would take to uh, to be able to survive that. And so so 120 years, and, and look what it says in verse 4. Now there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children of them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. This has always been a verse, or I say always. This has been a verse that has been the topic of much discussion. And I'm not going to try to convince you necessarily, but I'm going to let the Bible do it. So let's talk about that word giant. Now, how many of you all remember Goliath? He's a big boy, all right? Do you remember what his lineage is? He's from Gath. the reason why some, and I use this word, I'll throw it out there, some theologians <laughs> believe that's why David got, how many stones did he get? Five, five. He got five smooth stones. 
because he, he uh, one theologian said, well, then it's because he knew that Goliath had some kinfolk, he had some brothers, and he might have to have them other stones. Or maybe he just didn't know it was going to go down with one stone. He didn't know. But but my but the point is is that Goliath but was but was Goliath alive before the before the flood? No, he wasn't. So so, uh, but were there were there some strange people? There was another man. You remember the guy in Second Samuel? He had an unusual uh, birth defect. Anybody remember about him, sister? Six fingers on which hand? Both, and that's right. And what about his feet? And he had six toes. He had 24 in all, 24 appendages, all right? Uh, flanges, they call them. And uh, 24 of them. And he was a man of a large stature. And he was of, he was of that group called Anak. Remember when, do you remember when they took the land? What, what did Caleb want? He said, I want that mountain. Where what? Because when they went across, you know, the ten came back with an evil report. You had a good report. When he came back, man, all they thought about was the giants in the land. Caleb said, that's a spot I want, buddy. I want that place up there in that mountain where them giants live. And we know, of course, that he took that land and defeated them. And so these were the sons of Anak. But all this is post-flood. All right? So, so what does this say? So this word, let's look at it right here. There were giants in the earth in those days. If you look that word up, giants in the earth. Now, this is pre-flood. This is part of the antediluvian society. But that word giant does not make a reference in its definition to stature. What the reference is, if you look it up, you look it up at a Strong's Concordance or whatever, what it simply has to do with of being a tyrant. They were ferocious men. They were impious men, and they practiced tyranny, and they were great warriors. And that's what happened. The reference here is not to, it's a different word that's used. And, uh, and I'm just saying, I, I, I'm going to stick with the book. I don't know that this was a mingling of angelic beings with humans and that there's, there are folks that hold to that and they'll go to their grave with that. That's fine. This is one of those things that uh, can generate more heat than it does light. I just know that the Bible, the Holy Ghost, wrote this and put that word in their giants and it says became mighty men. The same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. They were known... For their sinful deeds. And that word that word mighty there has to do with being a warrior. They were fierce, fierce people. Alright? And uh, and so and so this is they were reckless and and ferocious in their behavior and what they did. Alright? And and verse five says, And God saw there was wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart only was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord. I mean, he was he was he was saddened by it. He was discouraged by it. This is what had happened to his to his creation, the crown of his creation, which was man. And uh, and so so in this society, it repented the Lord, and and yet look at verse eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Not everybody on the planet had gone the other way. Not everybody. And there, of course, there was the lineage and those 
who had lived before Noah that kept so forth. All right. These are the generations. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Perfect. In other words, there was no intermingling in his generations. His generations, they held true to the godly line, if you will, the grace line and not the fleshly line. And so Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So chapter 4, we find the Cain line. Chapter 5, we find the line of Seth. In chapter 6, the two lines cross. In chapter 7, the judgment of God falls. And uh, and so, uh, in you know, there in chapter 6, in verse 14, he tells him to make this ark of gopher wood, and, uh, and thou shalt make it in the ark, uh, and, and thou shalt make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. If you look that word pitch up, anybody know what that word, what word that comes from? What was the pitch supposed to do? Seal it up. Keep it from what? Leaking. All right. It's okay to be in the water, but you don't want the water in the boat. Okay? And it was to keep from leaking. And you know the wonderful thing? I I love how God does is that word pitch is translated picture, but it's the word atonement. What is the atonement? What is the atonement? It's a seal. Alright, so by which we have obtained the what? Atonement. It's a picture, it is a picture, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember at the fire department one time, brother, they were uh, they were having a discussion. Of course, they were always picking at me about my age. And uh, they were somebody had seen something either on the History Channel or something on YouTube. Anyway... And they were standing around one time on an evening and, and they were discussing that, like, where is the ark? Is it real? And, and where is it? They were talking about, well, someone said it's over here. It's in the Himalayas. They're discussing all this stuff. They're just, they're just ramrod stuff around. So I walk up and this is like six or eight of them there. It was like a training night and they're just discussing this. And, uh, and, then, and then somebody, you know, trying to be cute said, man, I bet Brother Ed knows where it is. He probably was there when they parked it, you know. <laughs> And uh, when it ran aground or whatever. And so, I, and the Lord just gave me that. And I said, well, I do know where the ark is. And I had been with them long enough that they knew I wasn't playing, that I, I wasn't kidding around. They said, you do? And I said, I absolutely do. I said, in the Old Testament, the ark was a ship. And I said, everybody that was in the ark lived. And everybody outside of the ark died under the judgment of God. And I said, the ark today is not a ship, it's a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody in Christ is going to live and everybody outside of Christ is going to die. And they got real quiet. You could have heard a pin drop. And then one of them popped up, well, well I'm going. I said, well, you are? I said, well, how do you know? Well, because well, I am. That's what he tried to tell me, you know. But that's when I, I, that really opened the door. That little conversation right there. And it's true, everybody in the ark lived. And God covered it with pitch, that word atonement. And that's a re- part of the reason why, man, we're eternally secure. We have had, we have the atonement. And if you take that word atonement, I have my little chalkboard up here. I show you, what is it? It's at, A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T, right? At one moment. That's the atonement. And we have been sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. According to the book of Ephesians, right? And so, man, we're sealed in the Lord Jesus. Can 
In other words, it's part of the reason why those boys that went in that fiery furnace and the fourth day was in there, they didn't smell like smoke. Their clothes weren't burned. Why? The Lord Jesus was in there with them. We have received the atonement. And everybody that was in that ark, there was, if you will, the atonement was there to protect them from the judgment of God. And so we have that. And so he makes that ark, and, you know, the Lord brings those things in there. And... uh, it was going to be, and, and notice what it says uh, in this passage about that the Lord shut them in, all right? That the Lord shut the door on that thing and sealed that thing, and he did that. There in chapter 7, and the waters prevail upon the earth. And, uh, and you know, so was this, was this, a, 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 was this a slow-moving thing? Was was the was the flood a slow moving thing? I'd say it was cataclysmic. I mean, the the heavens opened up and the fountains of the deep brought forth. It was cataclysmic, and, and you know, I I looked around. You know, there's probably not a place on the planet that doesn't have some seashells in it. And why is that? Seashells are not only found on a beach. And uh, and, and so do I. I looked it up. I remember it happening. When we lived in Alaska, and I looked it up, in 1976, they found a mastodon. What, what, is, what is a mastodon? That's that woolly mammoth, right, with those big, long, curly tusks. And, uh, and you know what they found in his stomach and in his mouth? He had green grass in his mouth and buttercups, a flower. That was also the contents of its stomach. They found this. Back in that day, it was found in in Alaska, right there where the countries nearly meet, in that part of Siberia. You can look it up. They found it, and they said that that it was so well preserved that somebody tried the meat, they ate it, said it wasn't very tasty. <laughs> but I mean, but the whole thing was there, and so if this this that was a sudden event, and one of the things I read about, they said it was because of a climate change. And I said, look at there, God, somebody somebody saw that and said it was from climate change. How smart, it's from the University of Alaska. Must have happened quick. I mean, what are they, and what does man do? They're only catching up with the Bible. So I've told you, your Bible is not a science book, but it is scientifically accurate. And so, I, I mean, it's just like, it's just like that man being swallowed by a whale. You know what happened here, what was it, last summer or... So before that, it happened once again. A guy got swallowed by a whale. Look it up. It's there. It's a fact. Just didn't happen to Jonah. It happened here recently. It also happened to a man in the late 1800s when they were out whaling. And uh, that his skin had been bleached a little bit by the stomach juices and so forth. But he survived it. He survived it. So uh, the flood comes in chapter 7. All right? And the waters are there for over a year, I believe. I didn't take the time to figure it out, but that'll be something for you to do. Wet your whistle there, your appetite for a little more information. Look it up. How many days was the flood on the earth? Because sometimes it had rained, it was rising, and then it prevails, and it stays for so long, and then it begins to recede. And, you know, he he sends out, you know, he sends out, what does he do? He sends out a dove, and what else does he send out? A raven. A raven. Why do you suppose he sent those two things? Why did he, of all the birds, why did he choose those birds? What kind of bird is a raven? It's an old buzzard, all right. A raven is a bigger size, it's bigger than a crow. 
Your crow is about that big. A raven's about this big. Alaska doesn't have crows. It has ravens. All right? And uh, I didn't know the difference until I got around some ravens. And so anyway, but what, but what does a raven live on? What does a buzzard live on? Dead animals. And so what do you think be floating around in the water? Dead animals. Well, some carcasses, human and otherwise, right? So they sent them out. When they went out, they never came back, right? But the dove didn't have anywhere to do what? To land its feet. Until that dove came back with a little branch in his mouth, and he said, hey, there's a tree sticking up somewhere. And uh, that's what that's when he knew that it was okay to get out. In other words, the waters had receded enough, but that that dove and that raven, they kind of they kind of pictures of two different lives as well. One of the flesh and one of grace, if you will. Alright? And feeding upon those things. And so in chapter eight, look look at verse one. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth. And the waters aswagged. And what that means is the waters, you know, the waters, they moved on. That wind came along. We count on that. A north wind drives away rain, right? But the waters begin to begin to recede. And they moved along. And so, and so that is the flood. Covers those from chapter 6 to chapter 8. And then the next event that we're going to cover tonight, we'll finish is from chapters 9 through 11. And this is the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel. So, I mean, think about it. So some things changed, right, when they got off the ark. Can you, anybody remember some of the things that changed? What, was man, what had man been living on before? What was he eating before? Vegetation, all right? And why do you think those, why do you think those animals came to him? Were they afraid of him? They were not. There was no dread. But I wonder if they were on there and they heard. Gosh, <laughs> you know, that things are going to change. Yeah, things are going to change. And, they, and they, I don't know, I'm, I'm, not trying to be, I'm not trying to be foolish here, but, I, but my, my imagination would be like, why is Noah looking at us like that, you know? <laughs> but some things change. Now, we know that he sacrificed, right? But there had to be, but, but you know, we always say, well, they came to him by twos. But you know what? There were some clean beasts. How many of those came? Seven. Seven. Because there was going to have to be some sacrifice that was going to take place. And uh, and they were going to have to have the right things to eat. And so we know that the diet of man changed then. What else changed? Right quick. I'm running out of time. What else changed? Age. Geography changed. Yeah, the land divided in those days, right? That's how come some of these creatures are in other places because of the land bridges that were there. I think I, I, I think I read today where they even found a they even found a, a a skeleton of a whale a huge whale that was in the Peruvian desert and uh, he might have got grounded there or whatever whenever whenever the waters receded in that place but you think about it, man the topography of the country of the world changed because of those forces that were there all right and. Uh, uh, I, for me personally, I think that's when the Grand Canyon and some other things were were carved out was during that that period of time after the flood or during the flood. Uh, but but I think it was cataclysmic. I think it was an instantaneous thing, man. And you say, well, do you think there was an ice age? I think that was part of it in some of those places because prior to that, 
The world had no, did it ever rain before that? It had not. So what, so what was God using to keep the plants watered? It was dew, wasn't it? There was a mist that came up that was around. But when you crack that open, now suddenly you've got the planet that's already on an axis, right? And some of those places are now instantaneously, I mean, Alaska just didn't turn the thermostat down. No, that region of the North Pole, the South Pole, they were immediately immersed in cataclysmic climate change. And things were taken by surprise. Animals were taken by surprise. Like that woolly mammoth with the food still fresh in its mouth. And if you will, flash frozen. And all this time. And, of course, the paleontologists said, well, that happened around 10,000 years, and I beg to differ with it. I don't think it was that long ago, all right? And so uh, so we know that we had the flood, and then now we come to this. So, so what else has changed? So men's eating habits are changed. The fear of man, now the dread of man, is on animals, right? And what else changed? Right quick, hurry up. What, what, happened, what happens if you take a man's life? Capital punishment. I've gone back to this capital. I've tried to tell some of my liberal friends or acquaintances that, uh, that hey, this is when capital punishment came about. And when the Lord changes his mind about it, I'll change my mind about it. It's confirmed in the book of Proverbs. It says, if any man take another man's blood, let no man stay him. No stay of execution. Let him flee to the pit. In other words, you know, the Lord demanded that, all right? So all those things happen. All that happened. And so time progresses here. In this period of time, and uh, I mean, because we've already had about 1,600 years that has passed by in just a few chapters of Scripture, and then now you come to the Tower of Babel. And so, in chapter 9, the government changes and so forth. And so now, God institutes that because there had been such violence in the land before. Now, as a deterrent, the death penalty has been has been uh, placed in, in action or has begun, all right? And so now the Tower of Babel is there, and, and notice what it says in chapter eleven, because you have some genealogies. Where did people, where did people then settle, and so forth? And so you got like the sons of Ham, Cush, Foot, Mizraim, and Canaan, and so forth. And in particular, they mention these, and then the man Nimrod, who I think is responsible for the Tower of Battle. He's one of these men with that word mighty. He is a warrior hunter. That same word is used, brother Scott. For under mighty, it is this warrior-like spirit. And so he dominated things. So so that nature is still there in that fallen nature. Though, 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 though Noah got off the boat and Noah knew God, and this is the reason why you go to Romans chapter 1, why God still holds them responsible for the knowledge of God. Because when they got off the ark, they had the knowledge of God. And they made some choices down through time to put God away from them. And that's what the Tower of Babel is about. They wanted to live in a society, in a world, without God. Now, I don't know if they had the wrong attitude about the judgment. I, I, I don't know about maybe what their families had told them about, maybe, you know, over the course of time and uh, what was passed along. But I just know that Nimrod was against the things of God. and uh, And so... He was this he was this mighty hunter and so forth and he sort of looked at as being the kind of the head if you will of of this community this society of Babel. And so look at chapter 1 it says the whole earth was of one language and of one speech and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar 
And they dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. Well, I think it's interesting. The works of man, his materials are brick. When God builds something, he builds it out of precious stones. If you look that up, I mean, if you follow that through in your Bible, there's a difference in the materials that are used, all right? And the methods that are used. And uh, notice look at verse 4, and they said, Go to, let us now build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And so some people believe that this is where some of the astrological things have come from because Nimrod's associated with that. And, uh, and so we know that people, man, they worship the sun, they worship the stars. This is where some of your zodiac things come from. And there are people who live by that. You know, and I've never figured out, you know, when I was growing up with my mother, you know, or, or, or whatever... There'd be a horror movie on. We, you know, we, we would watch that when I was a kid. You know, like the Wolf Man and the Invisible. I'm really, I, I, that's way before y'all's time. They were all black and white, Brother Justin. Okay, and uh, but you know, but I've never figured that out. That was a horror movie. It's always scary. So why would you want to follow something called the horror scope? I mean, in my mind, words matter. So the same words you so man, why would I want to find something that's scary? Why would I want to follow that? You know, even as a lost man, we didn't believe in all that stuff. That, and it just was always gibberish, something to put in the newspaper. And uh, and so, but people, man, people get real serious about that in the day and hour in which we live. But this is all a part of that mystery Babylon that's out there. The occult and these practices. So, man, I don't care if you're Pisces or whatever you are, or a goat, uh, you know, uh, the people I meet, and they want to say, well, what sign are you? And I go... I don't know. Peace, man. I know peace. I don't know what sign. You know, what sign are you? I, I don't go by any of that. Well, what are you? And they, oh, I'm a Gemini. Oh, that's nice. You know, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean a thing. It's a superstition that they have in their minds. And uh, and so, you know, that's like, like the words like we use catastrophe. It has the word astro in it. Catastrophic. Astro. The stars. They base their life on the stars. And there are other words that have that in there, that little word astro in there. And so um, they attribute But the Tower of Babel, I mean, they had a false religion. They had a language, and, uh, and they traded with one another, and they were one. And their goal was to live without God, and God brings this judgment upon them. They had ambition and pride. There was nothing holy or reverent about it. And so uh, it is a picture, if you will, of a future judgment. And so, and so what is the world trying to duplicate today? It wants to have a one-world government. It wants you to be a citizen of the world instead of a citizen of your country. It certainly doesn't want you to be a citizen of heaven because they think we've got a screw loose somewhere. You know, and that like, you know, like, like if a politician were to say, well, I talked to God this morning and... You know, he told me that I, I really should, I, I'm going to avoid these things and we're not going to participate in that. They would say, man, he needs to be, he, he needs a doctor. Huh. I, they would say that he needs to see a psychiatrist, that he's having, yeah. uh, listen, I'm telling you that, that they think that. That's no stretch for them to say that I, I talked to God or I heard from God or I, I read his word and he spoke to me. They can't live under that. Because that's not something in their mind, something that's tangible that we see as tangible. 
and not abstract and and uh, and the like. And so here the languages were confused. They were confused. But something that I I I, I can't explain at all. But I just know this: what, what were they? What were what was their goal here? Their goal here was the wonderful works of men. It was the work of themselves, the pride of their pride of life. And what I love on the day of Pentecost. What did those men say when the languages were unconfused? And they said, how is it that we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And what were those men saying? What were they talking about? Go there. Will you, will you go there with me? Go to the book of Acts chapter 2. I love this. We're going to end right there. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. And what were they doing? I'm trying to find this passage. Well, no, that's that is yeah. That that's I, I see that verse. What I'm looking for is what they were talking about was the wonderful works of God. Verse eleven. Yes. So Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. It's the total opposite. This is the reason why the languages were unconfused on that day. Why? Because the goal was different. What was their motivation? Man, they were they were praising God and worshiping God. And speaking the wonderful works of God, unlike those in the day of the Tower of Babel, what were they doing? They were they were doing the praises of men. They were talking about the, what they were going to do and what they had accomplished and what they were going to be in their lives. The motivation is totally different. God confuses the one, and on the day of Pentecost, he unconfused it, and everybody around there heard. Because what was the testimony? The testimony was of the wonderful works of God, of which every man ought to hear. And so... There's a huge difference in this. And so the, the, the destruction, if you will, of historic Babylon is a picture of what will be coming in the days to come. Because they do want a one world government. They do want... Man, English is the most common language used around the world. Did you know that? That's why we're using some of these things in other countries where English is being taught. Missionaries are allowed to go in to teach English and so forth. If you're an air traffic controller, you have to know how to speak English. Did you know that? If you're an air traffic controller in all these other countries around the world, if you're going to be a controller, you you're not you might be in you might be in Greece, you might be in Italy, you might be in Albania, you might be a, indigenous to there, and you speak Albanian, you got the language down pat, but you gotta learn how to speak English. It's the it's the ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization. You've got to learn English. Because there can't be any communications problem. Like, what did he say? What did he what? <laughs> you know? It might be a little bit hard to it might be a little uh, <clears throat> hard to understand. Like the guy in Miami said, you're clear for a tachingo. <laughs> and he said, what? A tachingo, a tachingo. And he said, he's telling you a touch and go. All right? No offense, brother. <laughs> but that's where it was. That, it, that actually did happen. And uh, But they have to, know how to speak, have to know how to speak English. So we, got, we have a one world government. That's what they're shooting for, right? They want everybody to be a citizen of the planet. They want to get rid of the monetary system. They want you to do everything. I, you know, I don't know what Bitcoin's going to be one day. I don't know if that's going to be the currency or not. But they try all kinds of stuff. Try to get us on one. You know, I mean, markets are all tied together, right? When our market closes down, theirs opens up. So, man, it's like business 24 hours a day, round the clock, having an influence on each other, having an influence on our country. And we want to maintain our sovereignty, right? We want to do that. There are forces that are at work, some of that spiritual wickedness in high places that wants us 
to be conformed to everything that they're doing. And so, there's again, there's nothing new under the sun, but God confused it here, and they're trying it once again. And uh, thank God we know the rest of the story. Amen? And the Lord's going to deal with those things. Any questions? All right, well, let's pray. Father, I sure do thank you for my Bible. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of the Word of God. And I thank you, Lord, that you have solved these things. You have defeated our our, <clears throat> our worst enemy, the Lord of the devil himself and his imps. And we know these things are going to come to pass. Father, I pray that we might live in the light of your return, imminent return, Lord, that we would be those uh, men and women who have this knowledge, who purify themselves, even as we are pure, that we're looking forward to that day. And I pray you'll bless now uh, our people, Lord. We pray... You'll bless our services on Sunday and uh, that you'll watch over us tonight, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.